Well, since we have a lot to do after the service, I'm going to try to make it as short as possible, but um, we cannot take time away from the Word of God. It is way more important than anything else that we are doing. If we aren't in the Word of God, I think that everything else that we try to do for the Lord will fail. Um, so we are going to spend some time here in James chapter 4. Um, but I wanted to share a story with you. Um, for those of you who may, some of you may not know, but I was on vacation this past week and I went to Disney World and I was down there with uh, my family for the most part, but then I had a friend come down and my friend Dan came. Uh, he is not a believer. He, uh, he will tell you that. Um, he has, he lives in Charlotte and he has one friend that grew up in the church and that's it. He doesn't really have any strong influences. And one of the things he said to me right before, as we were getting towards the end of our trip, um, as he looked at me, and he said, I admire you. And what he said was he admired me for in this world, standing firm for what I believe in. And there's a word for that, and it wasn't the word he used, but it's a word that James uses a lot, and that's steadfastness. Um, it's, if you remember, all the way back at the beginning, it was our first memory verse. And, and the first half of that, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. That was, that was a lot of what, for the first, uh, pretty much the first four or five weeks, Tim talked about that because trials just kept coming up in his life. And he kept talking about, I'm supposed to consider this joy, these trials. But then, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effects and make you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And that steadfastness doesn't come without those trials. In the past couple of weeks, we've been going through James, and we've been looking at a lot of things that, uh, you know, I always studied, I've read through the New Testament a lot. I've studied all the books in the New Testament at various times. I've spent many hours, especially in Paul's letters, looking at some of these things. And Paul hits churches really hard. He spends time and he says, Corinth, these are all the things you're doing wrong. And he just starts nailing them. And they speak to us. I think that James hits us even harder. Because James was picking the real big topics that hit humanity. Paul was being more specific with the individual churches. But James hits us where it hurts. And I think that's one of the things that we have to realize. All of these things are bringing to light these trials that have been going on in our lives and when, when my friend Dan said about that, it made me think about that verse. It made me think about how we've been going through these chapters and seeing all these, I mean, we have all these things that really pull out the sin in our lives and let us see it. And today's no different. We're not going to go anywhere else. We're not going lightly here. We're not going to move on. And, and it really goes that way through the rest of the book. Um, James doesn't pull any punches. So as we go through this, and these things are brought to light in your life, just remember that, that the trials produce steadfastness, and it does have an impact. It has an impact on those that, that interact with you on a regular basis. They see it. And some of them may be vocal and may talk to you the way that my friend Dan did, but some of them may never say a word, but they're seeing the steadfastness that studying and living the gospel produces. So as we go through this chapter and we see some of these, these re, real big problems that are in our lives, just remember that, that they're revealing things that God wants revealed because 
they're the things that we need to face. And they're the things that are going to make us more like Christ. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for James' writing that, that shows us lights in our darkened lives and shows us our sin. Help us to fight against that sin. Help us to look towards you and run towards you so that you are glorified in our lives and your spirit is glorified in our hearts. We pray that um, as we study this scripture today, that you reveal to us the words you want us to hear, the ideas you want us to live out. Help us to be doers of the word and not just hearers. We pray all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So, opening James, we've, we've been studying through these things of the tongue and the wisdom, and, the, and we're going to go through a part here, and we're just going to look at quarrels. And then James really pulls out the root of what that is. Um, so let's just start right there at uh, chapter 4, verse 1, and would you just read with me the first three verses? What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So he asks this question, what causes quarrels among you? And that, that kind of brings up, what are these quarrels? What are these things that he is really indicating? And there's lots of them. There are a couple that I want to point out. Um, these are, he's talking to the church at, as a, at large, and he, he says there are fights among church members. There are fights among your friends. There are fights among spouses, among families. And we can just go on. This list could be hundreds of items long, but these are some of the major categories. One of the things that is important about this is Every single one of those are relationships. All of our quarrels that he is really indicating here are relational. They're between people. And he's asking what causes the quarrels and what causes the fights. And he goes on and he, and he talks about this, you do desire and do not have, so you murder. Now, I don't think he's telling the church, you're going out killing people. But Jesus set the record straight and said, murder isn't necessarily entirely acted out. In the Sermon on the Mount, he calls out the people and says, it's what you feel in your heart. When you're angry at someone, that is murder. You're still violating that same law. As we start pulling apart the law like Jesus did, we can understand there's no way we can hold up the law. It's not possible. That was Jesus' point as he went through all these things. And James is calling us out for the same thing. He's saying that we desire and don't have. We are covetous, so we murder. So we fight and quarrel because we don't have things. These are the passions that are at war in us. And these are the things that cause us to have an outward sign of what is going on in our hearts. So... He write, is writing to a Jewish audience, and there's a very interesting thing about the Jewish audience, because the Jews have been fighting at this point for hundreds of years. They have been under Roman rule, and they've been fighting against the Romans. 
In fact, they just recently had a big rebellion that was put down. Um, that was the world that Christ came into, was this contentious world where the Jewish people are fighting against them. And one of the reasons that people didn't believe he was who he was is because they wanted a warrior king to go and conquer Rome, because that's what they had been fighting for. They've been fighting against this. They had also been fighting among each other. And they've been fighting among each other based on silly little rules. They're the same kind of things that caused Jesus' contention with the Pharisees. Those little rules that they wanted to follow, and not everybody believed what the Pharisees said, and these different groups would all quarrel over these things. And this hasn't changed just because people became Christians and became followers of Christ. That's the same thing that James is saying, is you haven't changed. This is a problem in your heart. And one of the, the things that makes it even worse is they, they said all these things, the fighting against Rome, the, the fighting over the doctrine in the way that they did was all for zeal for the glory of God. But that is false. And that's what James is calling out, is that it's not for God's glory that you're doing these things. In fact, he paints a picture in the fights that show instead of true zeal for God, their warring was caused by pride and malice Covetousness, ambition, and revenge. Those are the things that they're fighting over. Those aren't good things to be fighting over, no matter how, like, how righteous of a cloud you put in front of it. They wanted it to be about God and about zeal for God and about the love of God, but their hearts showed differently. So his, his proclamation about this, about you desiring and not having, you is just this fight over what are you doing? You're not looking to God. And he points a picture that shows a progression. And the progression is this. The passions inside each person are at war with each other, which causes fighting and quarrels outside of ourselves. We talk a lot about outward signs of inward reality. Um, we talk about baptism as an outward sign of an inward reality. It's a changed heart, and being baptized doesn't make you holy. It doesn't do anything to affect your relationship with God. It just shows people that you have a changed heart. Well, that's the same thing here. James is writing and saying the outward sign of your quarrels and your fights is showing that your passions are at war with one another, that your heart is fighting itself. Our hearts are fighting ourselves. We're fighting against all those things. I mean, this hasn't changed since he wrote this. We still fight pride, malice, covetousness, ambition, revenge, many other sins. But these ones specifically affect our relationships. And because of the way they affect our relationships, we fight and quarrel among one another. I was reading and studying this, and, and one of the things that uh, one of the guys that I was reading said is he was talking about marriage counseling, and he started asking these questions about, you know, what are your problems? And, and people start listing all these things that they have, that they're fighting over. And it all comes back, he said, every time it came back to this, came back to the fact that they weren't pursuing God first. See, and there's where we get to the, in the next section. Because in chapter 4, James writes this, you adulterous people, 
Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is no purpose that the scriptures say, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he made to dwell in us? See, that's the thing. We see these outward things, but James is writing that we are to be running after God. He calls us adulterous. We are God's, we are Christ's bride. And when we aren't running after him, we are committing adultery against him. It's simple the way that James puts that. And he says that the friendship with the world is enmity with God. We make an enemy of God when we become friends of the world. And, and the reason is because this world is tainted with sin. If this were the perfect world that God made in the garden and everything was perfect, then friendship with the world would be friendship with God. But that's not the world we live in. We live in a world that is tainted by sin and our passions are tainted by sin. And when we love the world, we no longer are loving and pursuing after God. And I think that's one of the problems because our struggle is that we don't set our eyes on the Lord first. We set our eyes first on things that we want. We want a nice car. We want a nice house. We want to have, spend time with friends and we want, to, we want to have all these fun things that we do. And yet, James calls us out and says, first, set your eyes on the Lord. Uh, Robert D. Jones, in his book, Pursuing Peace, says this, Failure to please God, failure or the other persons or both, is the ultimate cause of all relational conflict. Bank on it. Whenever there is conflict, one or both parties are not pleasing God. So if we're not running after God, we're going to cause conflict. And that's going to be a struggle for us because we want, in our minds, to run after God, but that's not where our hearts go because our hearts are corrupted by sin. And that becomes a struggle. And really, the true conflict that we are having is this conflict between God and the world of sin that we live in. So when we face these quarrels and when we have these struggles and the church is fighting against one another, we are fighting over actually our hearts and our relationship with God. When Tim first came, he said one of the things he wanted to focus on was not what divided the church, but what unified the church. And that wasn't our church specifically, that was the global church. Because there are conflicts among us, and we look at doctrine differently, we have different ways of worshiping. But that was not what he wanted to focus on. That is what the church over the last thousands of years have been focusing on. But the point is, we need to focus on what unifies us, and that's in our belief and love and the way we follow Christ. And that's the problem that we have, is that sin enters and causes us to look at these other things and causes us to look for where we think that someone else is wrong, that's a war in our heart because we need to be focusing on God. We need to be focusing on who he is and what he has done in our lives and what he is continuing to do in our lives. These quarrels that come out are what, cause a, are what is an outward sign of a heart that is not right with God. And when we look toward the world instead of God, we become adulterous and fall into idolatry. We place things ahead of God 
that are meant to be ahead of God. And then God is the jealous lover of our souls. And that is something that I think we forget about. God is very jealous. He wants us to love him and him alone. That's what he made us for. But he made us for that in a way that also causes us to have that option to not love him because he wanted a relationship. He didn't want us to be blindly following him. He wanted a relationship. And that relationship is what we screwed up because we let sin enter into our lives. And that sin has now caused outward relational issues. So we need to be running towards God. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 16, 26, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? If we are running after the world, we aren't running after God. If we're running after the world, we're saying that it is more important than the God that we love the God we should serve, the God that made us, that really made the world. We didn't fulfill our part in upholding what God made. So we need to be running towards him. But there is a solution to all this, because even though we have these quarrels and we have these fights in our hearts and we have the quarrels among us, James doesn't leave it there. He doesn't just say, well, here's the problem. Good luck. Because James continues in verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. See, James lets us know there is grace. There's grace that will mend our relationship with God, and that mending of that relationship and helping us to run towards God will mend the relationships in our lives. Because the thing is that we run towards whatever we are worshiping. And we are worshipers. We are always worshiping. And if you're not worshiping God, you are worshiping something else. So if we are to be the people of God and we are to not have these quarrels and fights and we are to be unified, then our unity needs to come through Christ and it needs to come through God. And when we have conflict and when we have these problems, God gives more grace than any of those. So We need to extend that same grace to one another. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, Paul writes, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. First pray. Lift your hands to God. That is where Paul is writing for the church. He's telling a young pastor, I desire that everybody in every place is praying to God. And that it is done without anger, without quarreling. Those are the things that unify us. It's praying, lifting our hands, worshiping God. And those are things we need to do together. See, James is writing and saying that it is our hearts that matter. And that it begins with grace. Because we are sinful. We were born in sin. 
We live in sin. We struggle with sin every day. We will die in sin. And yet grace is greater than all our sin. We sing that song, and sometimes we don't believe those words. But that's what Paul has written. That's what James has written. That's what Jesus has spoken of. That's what God has led us to see through all of Scripture, that grace is greater than the law that we are trying so hard to follow and failing miserably. Grace is never received by the proud. This is the next thing he writes. God opposes the proud. He never, never will give grace to the proud. That sin of, of pride is no place in God's kingdom. But he gives grace to the humble. And in that way, I think James is saying, when you think that you aren't fighting and you aren't quarreling and that it's not because of sin, and you, you think you can solve this on your own, well, God isn't going to help you there because you're not seeking after what is true. And the truth is that we need God to show us the way to help our hearts to submit to him, to love him, and put him first. Only then will the grace be given to help us to mend relationships where they need to be, to make our relationships stronger, to make us stronger. First, we need to love God and we need to submit to him. Verse 7 and 8, James writes, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. We need to submit ourselves to God. This is, again, another act of worship. This is, again, something that needs to be from the heart. Again, our, our quarrels and our fighting that, that James is writing about, and these things that sometimes seem so inconsequential to one person and maybe huge to someone else, they're things that come from the heart. And if our heart isn't right with God, and if our heart isn't focused on God, then we are going to struggle with these things. So as we go through these next section here, we can see that, that God has given us a grace-based humility. And in that humility, it submits first to God, resists the devil. In fact, James writes, he will flee from you. If you resist him, he will flee from you. Our hearts can't have, we can't serve two masters. And, and we, when we're seeing those words, that's, God or the world, and the world is ruled by the devil. So he will flee from you. A grace-based heart or grace-based humility seeks purity first. And it directs our emotions and leads to exaltation or worship. Worship of the one true God who gives us hearts of grace. That love that we have, that care that we have, is based on grace. We are to follow and run towards God. And if you remember, we've talked a couple times about this, but you can't run from sin. You can only run towards something. So when we resist the devil and he flees, it's because we're running to God and the devil wants to be nowhere near God. In fact, he wanted to be nowhere near him, so he fled and he left heaven. And he came and made his place here on this earth where sin 
has let him stay. But if we stand firm and we look to God and we run to God, there will be no place for sin in our lives. Now, it's hard to do that 100% of the time. Absolutely. Otherwise, James wouldn't need to write these specific words. He wouldn't tell us to do that, but we need to submit ourselves first to the Lord and we need to be running to him because that is what is going to mend our relationships. That is what is going to help us to be better lovers of God and followers of God. And James writes that it is humility that is the path to resolving conflicts. And when we see this contrast that's up there that, that is the title of the sermon, the proud and the humble, the proud are the ones that think they can do it on their own. They're the ones that think I am right and that what I do is right. And that is one of the ways that you can just tear apart relationships. Because if you aren't running to God and you aren't saying that you need to be fixed, that you yourself need to be fixed, then you are, in a way, saying, well, my sin is not there. If we are lying about our sin, we are lying to God. We're lying to ourselves. But if we are humble, and we humble ourselves before God, and we admit where we are wrong, and we admit where our hearts are not focused on God and focused on the Lord, then grace will abound and healing of relationships and healing of the problems that we have will follow. But first, our hearts need to be right with God. And that is, I mean, that goes all the way back to the first. Our passions are at war within us. And that passion is our passion for following God and our passion for the world. Those two things fight within us. See, we're not going to stop there today because James goes on and he writes further about how we deal with one another. And he starts to, to kind of culminate this by saying, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? You see... God is the ultimate law creator. He created the law. And whether we agree with it or disagree with it, this is his world. He made us. We need to follow his law. And that, that can put some real struggles in our hearts when we don't fully understand what he has put out there. We may say, God, I don't understand why you're telling me I need to do things this way. Because my heart, my, my mind say differently. But that was the struggle that we have. And John writes this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. God has told us that we are to love. He goes through, I mean, we, we read it all the time. God is love. We read it in Corinthians. Um, when Paul's writing about all of the gifts, he says the greatest among these is love. That's something that we are to do. And we are to love God first. And when we look at this and we set ourselves up as judges, 
we're in a way setting ourselves above the law as the ones that can actually look down on the law and say, this is what we need to do. This is what you need to do. But we need to judge our hearts. We need to let God be our judge. We need to let him be the one who tells us what is right and what is wrong and not judge each other. Because if we set ourselves up as judges, then we say we are above the law. I think we've just shown that that we are not above the law. James has said it. Christ has said it. Christ didn't even set himself above the law. He followed the law. He fulfilled the law. You heard uh, Ed talking about um, John 3.16. Well, John 3.17, for Christ did not come to condemn the world. The law condemns the world, but Christ didn't come for that. In fact, Christ himself says he didn't come to supplant the law. He came to fulfill the law. The law of God is way greater than what we can fulfill. And if we set ourselves up as judges, we're saying that we are above the law. That we can judge based on the fact that we haven't violated it. And that would be false. So when we judge someone else, we are setting ourselves up as God. That's not who we are, and that's not what we are to do. We are with grace to look into our hearts and to love God first, to put him first among us, to put him before us, and only then, with humility and grace, can our relationships be mended and can we run after the Lord that we love. Let us pray. God, you are holy and you are loving. You have put your grace in our hearts. You have given us a spirit of grace and a spirit of humbleness. But we fight against that. We struggle and try to just fight against who you have called us to be. Who you have made us to be. Worshippers of you, the one true God. We let sin rule our hearts. And because of that, Our lives are constant fights and quarrels. But it's that worldliness and it is that struggle that we fight against that can only be overcome by your love and by your grace. So we ask that you give us hearts that are humble. Give us hearts that want to run to you and to worship you and put you first. Help us to love you with hearts that are lifted high. For when we see these outward signs of struggle among the church or among our neighbors, among people that may believe in you or may not, we know that it comes from an inward struggle with sin that we have. And it comes from an inward struggle that we are losing because we aren't running first to you. So give us hearts of humbleness. Give us hearts that run to you. Help us to praise you because you first stood for us and loved us so much that you died for us and took away our sins. We pray all this through your loving, passionate Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.